Hi everyone, I'm Sam Cowan. Welcome to this podcast. This podcast is an audio version of a monthly conference call that is done for National Governing Body Coach Educators and Developers here in the United States. And I've made this an audio version only because so many people consume uh, podcast information on the go on their daily commute or while exercising. So I want an audio version of this. If you want to see the video version, in the show notes there's a link to the YouTube page that has the original uh, monthly call. So with that, I'm going to go to uh, this month's call, and thank you for joining us. Hi everyone, this is your host Sam Cowan, and I just wanted to pop in real quick before uh, we get started on this and apologize ahead of time for some sound quality issues on the recording. just with voice over internet that sometimes happens but i uh, think you can get a lot out of this anyway so i apologize ahead of time for uh, a little bit lower sound quality than i like thanks hi everyone welcome to this month's uh, coach developer conference call and actually this is a, a bonus edition since we talked to kristen Diefenbach last week uh, this week i'm joined by dr sergio barcial from leeds beckett university and uh, he'll be joining us in just a second here but as always, there are a few announcements. Um, if you are not aware, the past recordings are available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Uh, I really ask that you subscribe and leave a review. It really does help others find the podcast and the uh, content here. Uh, for those of you who are live uh, and maybe catch this in time, I want to remind you of the USOC uh, American Development Model Youth Sports Symposium coming up here in Colorado Springs on December 11th through the 13th. If you're interested in attending, uh, if you just uh, Google USOC ADM Youth Sports Symposium, the page will come up. Uh, and then also in June of 2019, again here in Colorado Springs, the U.S. Center for Coaching Excellence Coach Developer Summit will take place on the 17th to the 19th. And if you're interested in learning a little bit more about that, uh, the previous podcast with Kristen Diefenbach goes into a little bit of a, a we talk on that topic a little bit. Uh, next month, I've got uh, Dr. Christy Erdahl from Colorado College, who's going to be on the call about the adulteration of youth sports. Uh, we're going to also get into some other areas, uh, hopefully if we have time, with some superstition and concussion research that she's done as well. But we're going to focus on the youth sport, this uh, book that she has coming out. Right, and joining me today is uh, Sergio Labarcel, who just recently earned his PhD, I think, from uh, and who is a, a reader at Leeds Beckett University. Uh, Sergio is a former professional basketball player in Europe. He also coached Team GB women's team for several years. He's been involved with what is now UK coaching since 2008. He is uh, heavily involved with ICCE and also the International and European Sports Coaching Frameworks. And he is involved with I Coach Kids and uh, has his PhD in, I love this, it's in positive youth development. So, Sergio, welcome to the call. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's an absolute honor to, uh, to be with you today. Super. How about, how about starting with a little bit of your background? I, as I mentioned before we started recording, I, I kind of find it a fascinating transition from pro sports to high-level coaching and now your interest in youth sports. Yeah. So uh, it was really a, a very, very easy transition, really. Um, but if you want a little bit more about my background, bigger picture, uh, born and bred in Spain, in Madrid, 
uh, but moved to the UK back in 99, that's 1999 for the younger audience, <laughs> um, and, and I moved to the UK to, to play basketball. I played uh, professionally in Spain, uh, then I had an opportunity to come and play here, um, and then I stayed here. I played here for a few years, and I was always coaching at the same time, um, did a master's degree in sports psychology um, early on, back in 2002. And one, let, one thing led to another. I started working in coach development uh, for UK coaching, then from there to the university. Um, started my PhD, um, and, and I finished it um, early this year. Um, the transition from um, player to coaching, and then from coaching uh, high level um, to coaching children, um, very, very easy, really. Um, I always wanted to coach, so I, I actually stopped playing relatively early at 27 years of age, because um, at that point I, I thought that really what really got me going was coaching uh, more than playing after playing for 15 years. Um, so I switched and um, never looked back. Really, it's not I've never kind of felt that I that I left playing too early. It was it was a happy happy occurrence for me. Um, and then back in 2009, after five years of coaching uh, with Team GB and in Division 1 here, um, I, I really felt that, um, because I was starting a family at the same time, and I had a, a, young, a young son already, um, that that lifestyle really wasn't for me. Uh, as much as I loved it, um, that idea of uh, being out of the uh, house and away from home pretty much every week, um, all year round, really didn't suit my... Um, <laughs> My, my my objectives really in life um, and um, and I've always coached uh, even though when I was coaching Division 1 and Team GB uh, at my club I was always involved in coaching in the youth program as well because I, I, I loved working with kids um, so that was an easy transition really I just um, kind of if you want stop coaching the higher end or carried on with the younger end um, and also I was uh, if you want highly motivated to keep doing that because my PhD um, was on that topic really on, on, on youth sport and, and positive youth development so it was um, it was easy really um, never look back uh, and I haven't got any plans to go back to coaching um, um, senior men or women at the moment I'm really happy doing what I'm doing that, that's awesome to hear a, a question on your transition from being a player to coach so you, you had said that you had an interest in coaching early on that you saw that as a potential uh, a lot of athletes, uh, and I'll, I'll speak to in the U.S. here. Uh, I can't speak here, but a lot of times in the U.S., the you know players retire and maybe they become an assistant coach and then they become a coach, but they really never have any formal training and coaching. Did, did you pursue some formal training and coaching, or was it more of just things you picked up from your coaches and kind of some own self-study? Yeah, it was a bit of both, really. Um, uh, I mean, you have to understand that basketball in the UK um, wasn't massively developed at the time, 20 years ago, uh, 15 years ago. Um, so I did my level one and my level two qualifications in the UK and level three. Uh, I went through them relatively quickly in the space of um, a couple of years. Um, but then I did a lot of, um, obviously I had 15 years of playing experience, um, but that's not always a good recipe for, for becoming a good coach. Uh, and... Um, and then I was always very um, academic, really. So I read everything that I could get my hands on. Um, that's what, when I did the master's in sports psychology, I did it because I wanted to be a better coach, not because I wanted to be a sports psychologist. Um, mm -hmm. 
Um, so yeah, it was a it was a, a bit of a mix. Really, I went through the channels of formal education, but then on the side, I was constantly reading and 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 talking to people and and really reflecting. I'm 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 quite high on on reflection. Very nice, very nice. I more uh, I, I I would love to have that more that system and more that outlet from uh, coaches here in in the U.S. Uh, as well. I, we mentioned the word coach a lot, and one of the things that I had uh, stumbled across when uh, Kristen suggested uh, that getting on the call is a talk that you did, I think, in Hungary. And I love the fact that you you talked about the where the word coach came yeah. from, and I I, I want I, I, it's such a great story. Can you please share it with folks? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I only um, I only found out about a year ago about this, uh, just over a year ago. The, uh, the the real meaning of the word coaching, really, and where it comes from. Um, so what happens is um, there is a, a small village in uh, in Hungary, and that 500 years ago in the 15th century, um, they became very famous uh, because they were building these these magnificent uh, horse-drawn carriages. Uh, uh, and they became the, these these carts. They, these horse carts became the uh, the gold standard across Europe. And the name of the town is Kochi. Okay. Uh, so from that point onwards, um, in the majority of European countries, um, the word for coach for the uh, the horse drawn carriage um, was taken from the name of the town, Kochi. And in in England it became coach. Um, but in Spain it becomes coche, and we still call cars coches in Spain. Um, but what happens then, uh, if you fast forward 300 years, in the 1800s, in, uh, I think at Oxford University, um, a group of uh, lecturers started to refer to themselves as coaches because they felt that their job was to take a student from where they were now to where they wanted to be in the future. So they saw themselves as, a, as, as the vehicle carrying the student from where they wanted to be um, um, from where they were to where they wanted to be. And I think that's really deep because um, I think sometimes as a coach and particularly as a youth coach, it's easy to forget that we're actually just the vehicle for someone else's journey uh, and that that really is their journey. And I think every time you remember that, I think your attitude to coaching and how you go about it changes because you, you really realize that you're just there to serve the needs of that person, and you know, at best you can you can aim to be the horse that might be pulling them along the way a little bit uh, to help them out. But it is their journey, and they have to um, they have to decide where they want to go, um, and they have to drive it. Uh, and you just all you all you need to do is support. Um, so I think that for me, that that realizing that that was the meaning of the word coaching had a profound impact because it really. It really describes what I try to do as a coach, and I don't always succeed. Don't get me wrong; I'm, I'm not perfect, and I <laughs> I forget sometimes that it is their journey as, as opposed to my journey. Um, but I always go back to that definition to understand what I should be doing, even when I'm not doing it so well. That's that's fantastic. I I love that story. I I kind of like the etymology of words and and where they came from, their, their derivation and. Uh, and I love the way that you have taken that and uh, remind yourself that it's it is it's it's their it's their game and it's their journey and they're in it to get out of it something that they want and all too often we adults want to impose things on them that uh, they may not really care about at least not at that point in time. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, and and sometimes as adults. Um, 
And I think, you know, at two different ends of the spectrum, if you want, of children, with the younger children, sometimes we we feel like we have to make it look too much like the adult game because that's what we like as adults um, and we forget about them. And also in the, you know, one, the, the other issue that I have, because I'm dealing with this at the moment, I, I currently coach uh, an under 14, a 14 and under team. So they're at that stage where they don't look like young boys anymore. They're starting to look more like young men. Um, yeah. And it's easy to forget that it's still their journey and that they're still children. Uh, so I think as adults, going back to this idea of, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm just the, uh, the vehicle. I'm just, the, uh, I'm just here for, for their needs and for their journey. And actually creating those conversations with them so you can understand what their destination is in their eyes. Because um, it is different for every... So in my, in my group now, we've got nearly 20 players um, and they all play for different reasons. Um, so our job has to be to cater for all those reasons. That's a, that's a fantastic approach, and it's so easy if you're working with uh, kids at that age group and that are you know pretty highly developed and experienced. It's it's really easy to see them as oh wow they're they're really adults, but yet you know they're still 14 years old and you know doing the things that 14 year olds do. And we were all 14 once and can all probably fill in some gaps there for ourselves. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I'd stumbled across, and this is actually my first exposure to you, I was on a human kinetics webinar that you did about, uh, you had done a study and published some information on serial winning coaches. And I, I found this really to be uh, amazing because I'm fascinated by successful coaches and what they do and how they build culture and how they relate to players. Um, maybe summarize a few of the key things that you learned that were that were pretty common across all these different sports as well. Yeah. Uh, well, that that was. Um, I always say when I explain this study, um, uh, for four years I was like a like a child in a candy shop because <laughs> um, it was just amazing to um, to be able to 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 really speak to these people and, and to their athletes and to try and understand what they do. I mean, we're talking about a real, the real elite of coaching, really. Between them, over 150 gold medals at the Olympics or the World Championships. Um, these guys are really uh, the, the top coaches on the planet. Um, and in terms of what we found, uh, very interesting, really. Uh, you want, I always say that um, I kind of went, went into this uh, study thinking that I was going to find these superhumans uh, or, you know, three-headed giants. Um, <laughs> and I actually found um, a group of very, very normal people, uh, albeit, you know, doing extraordinary things, but, uh, you know, very stable, very, very normal people just doing a great job. Um, I didn't find them, you know, um, there was, if you want, the only thing extraordinary about what they do is that they are doing... The things that we all know, but we don't do consistently. Because um, in terms of the, uh, I mean, there were some things that we found that were slightly different to, I think, what we think great coaching is. Um, but in the main, it's just being consistent about doing the things that we know, we all know we should be doing, but we, we don't do regularly enough. Um, and I don't know, I mean, in terms of the, I mean, they they really spend, we found four, four areas really where, where they spend a lot of time or for areas where that were key to the day-to-day -day practice, really. Um, and interestingly, because I don't think, again, I don't think we're very good at this uh, most of the time, 
these guys seem to be very good around having a very clear understanding and an awareness of their own philosophy, values and beliefs and that that really informed everything they did. And, and you know, and, and and we know this just well because when we spoke to the athletes, um, they, uh, there was no discrepancy between the philosophy and values described by the and the philosophy and values that the athletes felt the coaches um, had, really. Um, and things like, you know, being very athlete-centered in the sense of uh, always trying to make sure that the needs of the athletes are met and that, you know, going back to this idea of being respecting the fact that it is their journey, really having that understanding of, of that. And, and, and also, you know, another second point that they described in terms of the philosophy and values, uh, and this came through from the athletes a lot, how, you know, the, the high moral stance that the coaches have, things like trust, respect, honesty, loyalty. Um, and that was really important because when you think about uh, high-performance sports, these athletes are putting themselves through hell, okay? So they need to know that the person that is working with them uh, is stable and dependable uh, from, a, from a moral standpoint. And that, that's kind of a safe thing because, you know, by just being in, in the high-performance environment at the highest level, I mean, remember that this is at the Olympics and the, uh, and the World Champs, um, you are putting yourself into, um, you know, into a lot of unknowns. So knowing that and the final thing around the philosophy and values really uh, was a little bit surprising and counterintuitive is how much these guys valued um, the, if you want, their me time and their work-life balance, okay? And, and work-life balance really obviously is relative because these guys are high-performance coaches that on average are spending 200 days a year away from home, traveling, competing, training, um, but they still seem to find a way to, to balance the books and have time for themselves, time for their families. Um, 16 of the 17 coaches were married with children uh, and, and they had really relatively stable lives, which was amazing because I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting them to be lone wolves, uh, selfish. <laughs> they, they didn't come across that. They were just, um, like I say, normal people doing extraordinary things. Oh, well, good, yeah. good. Um, let's kind of swing back around to some more recent stuff in the, in the youth sports area uh, here. Uh, talk a little bit, tell us a little bit about I Coach Kids and, and some of the other uh, work that you're doing to help uh, youth sport coaches become better. Yeah, so really... I mean, since, since my time at UK Coaching back in 2008, um, we identified a gap in, the, uh, in coach education around helping coaches understand how to work with, with young children, really, particularly with you know, 5 to 12-year-olds, um, because most coach education is quite generic uh, and also quite, um, quite geared towards the, um, the performance um, uh, pathway really really uh, so whether you are um, a parent that is just turned into a coach because you were the last person to run away from the <laughs> from the <laughs> or, or whether you are someone that wants to be an Olympic coach those two people do the same coach education course um, 
and 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 those courses tend to be a more about and more about the sport, the, the you know the X's and O's and the technical and tactical things, and um, and more about the performance as opposed to how to work with a bunch of seven-year-olds. So we identified that gap a few years ago. Um, I did some work already with the UK coaching around that area, and we developed a couple of workshops. Um, and then when I moved to Leeds Beckett and to the International Council, um, it was something that I didn't do anything on for about four or five years, but it kept nagging me at the back of my head, really. And until four years ago, we managed to put together um, a successful bid to the European Commission um, to, to have a grant to develop this, this program, the iCoach Kids program, um, which is led by the ICCE and Leeds Beckett, uh, but has another six partners from all over the European Union. Um, and because it is funded through the European Commission, uh, everything that we produce is, is free for all and, and open source. So that's the beauty, really, that we are creating resources that anyone can access, not only in Europe, because, because they're online. So anyone in the States or everywhere in the world, we, we have people connecting to the website and to the uh, e-learning from from Africa, from South America, from the States, from everywhere in Europe, from Australia, from New Zealand, from China. Um, it's just great, really, that, that we are. I, we feel that we are trying to build a, a global movement and a community around around this idea of coaching coaching kids, really. Uh, yeah, and we, I think, and I'll put myself in this camp, guilty of, uh, in my earlier days of coaching education, certainly from uh, focusing on the technical and tactical and how you write training plans and doing that sort of thing versus really, um, you know, more what you're talking about. But how do you deal with the seven, eight, nine-year-olds who, uh, you know, sometimes we try to run the same drills. And I can remember this as a kid. Um, I'm a little bit older than you, but I can remember as a kid, we were, you know, ran all these drills. And I think we ran them the same way that my much older brothers had run them and probably Ten years mm -hmm. after I left, that coach was running the same thing, but I can never remember, you know, I, I, that's all I remember from sports or that, and having fun with my friends and doing the other stuff that comes with it. But um, So what are a couple of examples of, uh, of things you guys have really hit on, the I coach kids uh, part, maybe a couple of you know, things that you feel like fill those gaps that you had identified? Yeah, so, I mean, we... Um if you want through the program or through the uh, through the project, um, we've created three types of resources. Really, um, we have a website, uh, and in that website there are multiple topics that you can go into and and find either um, if you want quick reference documents, but also there are blogs, uh, there are links to videos, um, and that's all there really. Um, we also did a. Um, and I think this is a, uh, not because we did it, but I think it's an interesting piece of work. We did a, um, a quite a big literature review around coaching children. Um, so we have a, a, a document, uh, and I think it's interesting because we did it in a, in a very particular way because we were always mindful that our audience is the coaches, right? So we did a literature uh -huh. review where we had theory on one side. If you, if you look at the page, theory on, on the left-hand side of the page, but then on the right-hand side, we had links to practice. So what does that mean for you as a coach in practice? What kind of things can you do to, to, to link your practice to that theory? Um, and that's been quite well received. People, people have taken to that quite well. Um, then we've got other, um, if you want, the, the jewel of the crown is the e-learning 
the MOOCs, the Massive Open Online Courses. Um, by the time we are through with the project, we're going to have three. Currently, we have one. Um, they um, they deal with different topics. Maybe the first one, um, and it goes back to this thing I was saying. When you're coaching kids, the main thing to understand is that you're coaching kids. You're not coaching basketball or soccer or football. You're coaching kids, so you need to understand kids. Um, and you need to worry about developing kids, not football players or basketball players. So the first MOOC is all about creating positive environments in sports um, and really making coaches understand that they are responsible not only for the development of their technical and tactical skills, but also they have a big role to play in developing psychosocial um, skills, really. Uh, so that's, that's MOOC one. The other two will deal more with... The second one is more around understanding how children grow and develop um, along different paths, you know, from emotionally to socially to cognitively to physically, and what that means for you in practice. And then the last one is more around the actual act of act of coaching really what do we how do we run good sessions how do we run good programs how do we run good seasons um, and 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 the beauty is that um those three courses will have lots of videos and activities but then all the videos have also gone into the third kind of um type of uh, resource which is a, a youtube channel so we have a youtube channel with i think currently over 50 videos um you know the videos are three to five minutes where you as a coach, you can go in there and you've got an interest in a particular topic, you can watch a five minute video and away you go. Uh, and that's your, if you want your learning for the day. Um, so that's that's really what we've done in that sense. Those are fantastic. When, uh, so you, you guys have done the first MOOC. Is it available for people to go through now? Or how, how is that set? Because some are done kind of live and then they're hidden away, um, at least one that I did before a long time ago. So yeah. are the e modules up on, on the iCoach Kids site? So not yet. Okay, we, we are okay. now, we, 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 I mean, we published it and we did a, a, a testing phase, like a, um, like a beta phase really with um, about 50, 50 coaches. Um, okay. We, we are now, we've got all the feedback, we've analyzed it, we are, and we are now really, the developers have told us that hopefully by the end of this week, we're going to have the, uh, the full version ready to go. Uh, early early next week so if if you guys if anybody listening uh, just keep an eye on our twitter feed and icoachkids eu and the website um icoachkids.eu um, and hopefully within the next 10 days you should be able to now go go on the on the live mooc and and, and do it oh that would be fantastic i will uh you, you know first may hear this afterwards but yeah we're probably talking the end of november uh, thereabouts, but definitely we'll, uh, I'll, I'll probably send out something a little ahead of this being posted so that people can get a heads up on that because I'm really excited about all three of those topics and, uh, and, and can, I will look into them myself for sure. Uh, Great. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of a gear switch here. I, I'm curious about just your views on the state of youth sports in, in Europe. You know, here in the U.S., a lot of articles are written, and actually in, in very mainstream publications. I mean, major newspapers, Washington Post, New York Times, The Atlantic. Um, you know, so it's gotten out of all the world of us being concerned about to now lots of people writing about. Project Play has, has uh, you know, done a great job of kind of raising awareness on this. And 
you know, our concern in the U.S. is that we're, you know, moving towards earlier specials or moving towards early specialization sport away from sports sampling. Also moving towards, uh, you know, high, relatively high cost travel teams versus community sports that I grew up playing where the idea of traveling was, you know, going to the next city over. That was a, that would have been a travel for us. Um, yeah. what's, what's kind of state of youth sports in, in Europe, uh, right now? I mean, yeah. you can pick just uh, you can pick just Great Britain if you want to. I, don't, I say Europe like it's a monolithic thing, and I sorry about that. My my American uh, fell into place there. <laughs> yeah. No, but there is. A, I think. I mean, you're right. I think there is. A, obviously, each country is slightly different. Okay, uh, but there are some trends that I think would apply across most European countries. So, for example, if you take the UK, um, um, in a way we are we are quite lucky because uh, the UK has a strong tradition of community sport and community clubs. Um, and also, in a way, has a... And this is not always... Uh, I, I need to really be careful with my choice of words because it's not always... Um, the best thing, but there is a strong tradition of uh, amateur sport, okay, and a, and a sport run by volunteers uh, for the sake of giving sport. And that's good, because in a way that's kind of delaying the trend that you have in the States, for example, of this idea of the professionalization of youth sport. I think in one of the slides earlier you had the administration of youth sport. Um, yes. That, that's not happening as badly here, okay? Uh, still, most children will, will have access to community clubs near where they live, uh, unless they live in a very rural area, that's a different pro uh, problem. But children will be able to join a sports club um, for most sports um, for a relatively low price and, and they won't be coerced into joining travel teams or anything like that. That doesn't really exist here today. Mm -hmm. I think in some sports like uh, like football, there are that's starting to crop up a little bit. So, for example, in football in the UK, or in England, I should say, um, there are 96 professional academies. In other words... Wow. Well, the thing is, by, by law, uh, from the statutes of the... Um, of the Football Association and the Premier League, every club in the professional league, so that's the Premier League, the Championship, League One and League Two, every mm -hmm. club, those four tiers of football, has to have an academy. Okay? And, oh, okay. Uh, and, and those 96 academies are the ones that kind of select the talent early on. Okay? And there are lots of things wrong about that as well, but never mind. That's how... That's how <laughs> And then underneath that, there's, there is a massive network of, com of community clubs, okay? But then in between those two, in between the academies and the community clubs, now we're seeing the emergence of, um, of kind of the equivalent of the travel team, really. So people that are trying to capture the imagination of the kids that would love to be in an academy but haven't been selected uh, and want to do something more than just playing for their community club. And this, if you want this, they call themselves academies as well. Okay, um, okay. But these are pay, pay per pay per play academies really, and these these academies are charging kids, you know, quite a hefty amount of money um, to do extra training to to in a way give them the um, 
the experience of or the sense of that they're in they're in a in a football academy as if they were playing for Manchester United or or Chelsea. Um, and I'm just not sure that the motivation be to, behind the guys that are in these academies are, are right. And I think it's become more a business as opposed to what the children really need. Um, so that's that's kind of the situation in the UK. I think most kids can play for relatively you know a low price uh, for their community clubs. Um, obviously, in certain sports where there is a more of a tradition of being expensive, like the tennises and the golfs um, mm. of this world, those are still like that but the governing bodies are really trying to to be more accessible as well they realize that they can just live on 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 you know on, on the children of the people that are relatively wealthy um, and and i think that they've made efforts to to be more accessible um so that that's in the uk uh, and i think that the situation is relatively similar in most of europe because in a way uh, um, I think by contrast to what happens in the States, um, youth sport is run through clubs in, in Europe as opposed to the school. Uh, I think a lot of the youth sport in the, in the US has traditionally been led through the school system. Yes. Um, but in Europe it's been much more around, it's a cl- club-based, really community-based. Um, and I think that's the case in most most places. Um, so yeah, um, I don't think we've seen uh, the same level of um, professionalization or adulteration of a uh, youth sport. <laughs> but there are signs that that could happen. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think, and I grew up where youth sports were, uh, you know, primarily school-based. And, I mean, every sport that I played was associated with my school one way or another. Either the lines were drawn that you, all the players had to come from this area and the, the just the leagues that were run by the by the city government, the county government, just defaulted to school districts because they were drawn. Everybody knew where they were. Um, where I grew up, you went to the school that was closest to you. At least, you know, I, I, I said that, but there were some exceptions to that. But um, and so it was very much school based, and yeah. um, and there was not a there was not a cost factor involved in it at all. And you know, I I don't remember. You know, I, I know that there were basketball camps that were held, but I, you know, they were small, and I, I got the impression the one I went to was pretty low key. Nothing like what I see today, where it's, um, again, the adults were running the show, though, uh, and and the adults were running the show with us. I just think that it was in in my day anyway. It was much more low key, and there was uh, you know, much more focus on yeah, you're gonna learn how to play football and how to play basketball and baseball and do those things, but. It didn't seem to have that drive and that uh, that uh, you know that that part of it that I see so much more so today and and there was nobody priced out of it. I I, I guess there was a cost to playing some of the sports I played through our boys clubs and girls clubs, but it apparently wasn't enough that my parents flinched at it when it came to you know paying for it. Whereas you know now I think unfortunately there's a there's a big price tag that comes with it and. And you know, and and they're hefty here. And uh, you know, our concern is, are we, are we, you know, pricing a lot of kids out of a great you know, youth sport experience with that? Yeah, and and you know, one of the um, one of the paradoxes as well that I think we are seeing more and more in the UK and in Europe, really everywhere, um, is that children nowadays are playing perhaps more, or, or some children are playing more organised sport 
than we ever did growing up. <laughs> but yeah. they're playing much less an organized sport, you know, casual with your friends in the park or in school. And everything has become very regulated. So they're either training with their teams in a very structured environment or at home doing something else or doing or, or doing another activity. Because that's another... <laughs> I see, um, again, some, some children that seem to never have any free time. They're doing basketball one day, guitar the following day, and, and it's all regulated yeah. really... And that's a, I think that's also a potential danger, really, in terms of um, you know children not being allowed to just be children, really, and do whatever they want. <laughs> right. Well, and, and my take on this is something that I've seen. I just I, I just read a book called uh, What Made Maddie Run, and uh, it's it's a really sad story about a young girl. She's a freshman in college at a, at one of our Ivy League schools, and. Uh, you know, she commits suicide at the beginning of the second term. And as I'm reading through this, and uh, and the author Tate Fagan does a great job of talking about just the pressures that are on college students these days in the U.S. and social media and uh, everything else. And uh, and it popped in my head. Uh, and this wasn't specific to what I read. I'm not sure, but uh, but it did pop in my head about how you know, a lot of parents have so organized their kids' life that they never learn how to make a choice about what they're going to do. And so then they're cut loose in college and all of a sudden they're faced with having to make decisions. And uh, and I, I think I think I read it in the book. If not, I, I read it while I was reading. It was talking about the number of times that uh, college kids contact their parents during a day. And and when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's not that unusual. And then I realized she was talking about, no, per day. Um, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I tell the story a lot of times when I was uh, when I was in college, I called my mom and dad on Sunday night unless there was an emergency or or maybe if I was going to come home that weekend, I call them on Thursday to give them a heads up. But that was it. It was the yeah. Sunday night phone call, and all my friends did that. We didn't have cell phones. We couldn't yeah. text them or message them. And now that's changed. I, I wonder if there's some of that that you know as we release our kids a little more into the wild, although you know college is still yeah. a fairly safe environment. We're not doing any favors, you know. And, and there's always a risk that um, for us because we are older. Okay, uh, I don't know how old you are, but um, I'm 43 now. That we we have that um, idealized image of what we yes. were like when we were young. Um, and don't get me wrong, uh, I think you know the guys that I coach are great. Okay, and. Uh, and I, but I do agree that we were a little bit more independent than they are because we 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 had less support. It was less regulated, um, and sometimes really, because I'm doing this actively really, and, and we have this I have these conversations with uh, my my assistant coaches and with my the parents of the kids that sometimes in training we try to replicate that unstructured environment and and give them a chance to to just do that really because they're not doing it regularly um, and I explain to the parents because because as a parent there is an expectation that a coach has to coach and when they yeah. see you standing back and letting them um, solve, uh, you know, solve problems by themselves or when something goes wrong and you just take a step back and you wait until the, someone steps up to fix it and some, some, if you haven't told the parents they, they look at you and they go you're not coaching but we say to them, look, no, we are trying to encourage them to to step up and to be more responsible and to to learn to deal with chaos, okay, and to learn to deal with yeah. the reality of a 
of a dynamic environment really and, and not always trying to regulate that environment so it's easy for them which is what we do all the time um yeah i'm, I'm quite strong on that really very good yeah yeah i've got you by a few years i'm uh i'm 55 and so i have you by a few years <laughs> and uh but, but it's fascinating to me the fact that you know like you said you're 43 you talk about how much independence you had and, and, and it got me thinking okay so when you know when did this stop you know is it you know well right now what's going on but, but when was it between the time obviously you know when you were you know a teenager and somewhere now the, the uh, uh, switch got flipped and we're yeah. all of a sudden you know really micromanaging um you know or a lot of parents are micromanaging kids lives and and doing that sort of thing and that's probably someone's doctoral dissertation out there that uh yeah. that you know, could be done on that uh super well uh Sergio, i want to wrap this up here and be respectful of your time uh there anything that, yeah cool is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to highlight? Maybe some really, uh, you know, maybe some cool things you're working on right now that uh, maybe we'll see, you know, in, in a few months or maybe a year or uh, something that's kind of uh, piqued your interest. Kind of like you said earlier, the the idea of the gap had always kind of lingered in the back of your mind, and you're able to do, devote to that. Just, uh, you know. Throw some things out there that folks might want to consider and look at. Most of the people listening to this are coach educators or involved in either a national governing body or uh, in some cases we have some soccer clubs that have uh, folks who listen regularly and who are really, I, I, I commend them for wanting to get on, you know, get on the train as far as uh, positive youth development goes. So i uh, give you a chance to just uh, share anything that is uh, kind, of, kind of burning in your mind. Yeah, I mean, uh, mainly around the um, the iCoach Kids program, really. We, uh, like I said, we're going to release the uh, first MOOC into the wild in the next few days. So I'd really encourage people to go and have a look. Um, look, there's no pressures with the MOOC. You don't have to complete the whole thing. Um, just have a look, explore it. Let us know what you think, because we are now developing MOOC 2 and 3, so we would love to hear what you think about them. And if doing the MOOC is not your thing, uh, you know, go to the website or go to the YouTube channel or go to the Twitter feed uh, and just be part of the community, really. Uh, what I like about a lot of this is that um, people are talking to each other uh, and, and learning from each other. I think we really see iCoach Kids as only the vehicle for, for this growing community of youth coaches, really, and children's coaches. So that's one thing. Yeah. Really. Keep, keep an eye on that. Um, and, and, you know... Uh, I was just thinking, reflecting on the um, on the conversation, um, that I'm back to where we started really with the story of um, of the meaning of the word coach. Um, I think as coaches we do um, a hell of a lot of moaning. Really, we we, we moan and whine <laughs> a, a lot um, about the things that are wrong with 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 the kids, with the parents, with the clubs. Um, and I would really like to encourage people to take on that role of um, where we are. We are both the 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 cart and the horse, and um, and if we don't do something about it, nothing, nobody's gonna do it. We are we are the uh, the vehicle. So, you know, really spend time, what you know, working with the parents, educating the parents, educating the players. If you need to talk to the, if your club is not working in the way you would like it to work, or or your school is not doing what they should be doing, talk to the principal, talk to the uh, club chairman. Um, but really, we need to get away from. 
it's one of the things that you know in, in one of the projects that we ran um, last year, the where we developed the European Sport Coaching Framework. Um, we developed this model of coaching practice, really, that we call the the six primary functions of the coach, uh, and they, people can download that from from our website as well, from the um, from the coachland.eu website. Uh, and basically, what that says is that we need to move away as coaches from this idea of our main job is to run sessions and to put cones on the floor and to run drills. That's only the tip of the iceberg of what coaches do. Our job is to create the right environment, to educate everyone around us. To, uh, to build relationships um, and really I know that's that can be out of our comfort zone because you know during a session it's not easier when you don't think about those things okay uh, but exactly. really encourage people to just really see themselves as, as much more than just you know the guy with the whistle and the club the clipboard and and the cones really um, and to play a bigger role in the in their settings yeah, that, that, that's a great action step for folks to take is that we, we need to be the agents of change and be the ones who stand up and raise our hand and say, you know, there's a better way of doing this. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, it's uh, I, I'm looking forward to the first MOOC. I'm, I'm a kind of guy who likes those, and uh, so I'm definitely going to, I think I already follow iCoachKids.eu uh, on Twitter. And so I'm going to keep my eye out for that for sure, and hopefully everyone else will. And depending on when people listen to this, it may already be out, and looking forward to the future ones as well. Uh, so with that, uh, Sergio, I want, to, I want to thank you for taking uh, time out of your afternoon there in the U.K. to, uh, to share what's going on with you and the iCoach kids and, and uh, the coaching frameworks, and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get across in June for the Coach Developer um, Conference. So hopefully uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see each other in the flesh. <laughs> Absolutely. It'll be great. It'll be fantastic to have you uh, there for that. I think it will be, I, I think that'll be a great uh, addition to our conference. I'm on the planning committee for that conference and, and kind of always, I usually disclose that earlier because I tend to uh, promote it pretty hard, and there's a reason I enjoy the conference. I think it's very useful as well. So good. Well, hopefully we'll see you over here. Fantastic. Right. Thank you so much. Sam. Yep. Yep. So you have a great day. Thank you. You too. Hey, and once again, thanks for joining us on this audio podcast. I want to uh, put a shout out to Lee Rosefair who provided the music for the uh, intro as well as for this credit roll. So thank you and good luck in your coaching.